This is Hitting the Mark, conversations with founders and investors about the intersection of brand clarity and startup success. With your host, brand strategist and author, Fabian Garhalter. Welcome to Hitting the Mark. On our first six episodes, we covered a lot of ground, from a founder who was on Shark Tank, where he tanked, uh, to an investor bringing back beloved brands like Iowa in the 90s PepsiCo drink Slice. But today we break new ground with a startup founder who is well beyond his brand's IPO, and his app has accumulated a staggering 3 million users. I'm joined by Eddie Geller, who is the co-founder and CEO of Tiny Beans, an all-in-one app that provides a safe and loving space for parents to document the child's lives through photo sharing, journaling, milestone tracking, and photo album printing. He immediately saw the potential Tiny Beans had to bring families together around the shared experience of watching his own kids play and grow. Welcome, Eddie. Thanks for being on Hitting the Mark. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Fabian. Obviously, great to be on the show. Oh, absolutely. So, so many listeners, many of us, um, may have never heard of your app, which, by the way, has 2,500 new users join each and every single day. But the reason they might have not heard of it is because they may not be your target audience, which consists mainly of parents and grandparents. So tell us a little bit about the idea, about how the app functions, and how you made the impossible possible, which is to get young parents away from the social networks that they're already using to opt into something totally new, to opt into Tiny Beans. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so um, look, it's a, it's a really simple concept. And I think for new parents, you know, probably relate to a lot, a lot more. Um, so, so Tiny Beans, you know, like you sort of said in the, in the intro, is this really simple app that allows new parents to capture these everyday memories and have them safely um, stored and then share them selectively with families all over the world. So the problem that we're solving that that often is difficult to solve is really that sharing aspect. So that's how really we began, sort of this very basic way in which a, a mom would sign up with the app. They basically start, you know, um, capturing memories and then they share it with family and then every day an email would be generated that would be sent to the family members automatically so parents love this simple way in which they could be capturing these memories they could selectively share it with these handful of family members could be 10 15 20 and then they would get these emails every day and then through that experience these grandparents aunts and uncles could then comment and love and be part of that experience so there wouldn't be a need for them to be on other big social media or download an app or do anything complicated if they just wanted to experience you know what the obviously these new babies and kids are up to and that's really the, the simplest form in which we began and and i guess the you know the millennial mom of today is very you know i guess you know up to date with, with uh, i guess uh, the latest in sort of trends and privacy is a critical thing for her and that's really what's driven a lot of the growth in the last you know five six years is basically this very simple way in which parents own the information, they get to control it, gets to see it, and obviously, you know, it's very safe inside Tiny Beans. Are you in Europe as well, or are you only in the US and Australia right now? Yes, yeah, so Tiny Beans is everywhere. It's available. All, I'm all over the world. Um, I think last count, we're in a, every country, like over, over, I think there's 170 countries in the world, over 200 territories, we're everywhere. Um, the US is our largest audience. We're about 75, 80% in the US. 
Um, given our heritage is, is Australia um, from Sydney, about 10, 15% is Australian, UK, Canada, and then the rest scattered. But I mean, we have like a decent audience in like France and Germany and all parts of Europe because again, it's it's really communities that um, you know you take privacy seriously right. and appreciate the importance of of capturing and recording the child's lives and have them in a safe space. And that's exactly why I brought this up because I figured that uh, privacy in in the U.S. is just slowly becoming something that uh, you know generates awareness with a lot of users. But in in Europe, they are much more up in arms about that, and I think uh, it makes sense that uh, that you're starting to explode over there. Um, you know, you you talked about the parents, you talked about the grandparents, but you didn't talk about a new parent's friends. Um, and I think it really helps them too to not suddenly see 20,000 baby photos every day on Facebook. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> right? Totally. So, so, so you, actually, you actually help them too by, by not being over overshared <laughs> with something that they might not relate to as much as a new parent and, uh, and, and, and their parents. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was actually, uh, I'm not sure if you remember this, many years ago there was an app added into Facebook called Unbaby Me. And it solved the problem of parents um, oversharing the child's photos um, in your in your feed, and it would replace them with bacon and cats. Oh my God, um, this is hilarious! It, I have not it, seen that. Where was I? Where was it's I? It's no longer available, um, but it was there in the very early days, and it predates Tiny Beans. But yeah, I mean, exactly like you say, Fabio. I mean, um, you know, um, we solved that problem, so it could be your closest friends, it could be, you know, and we have a lot of, you know, mothers sharing with other mothers and dads sharing with dads. And like some of the sharing networks in the US get like 30, 40, 50 people. So it's way beyond just a related family member. It could be like your closest friends because in the right. US and um, primarily, um, you know, there's lots of, uh, you know, moving and very transient, I guess, culture of, of uh, you know, obviously you're moving for college, you're then moving to another city for work, you could be moving to another city for another job three years later. So you're, you're acquiring lots of very close friends, but family spread everywhere. So the sharing networks on Tiny Beans tends to be pretty large in the US, considering you're sharing photos of your kid every day. Whereas in other, in other um, uh, cultures and communities, you know, Europe and even Australia, they're much smaller networks because again, you tend to sort of stay in the same city you're brought up with. Um, in, whereas it's different in the US. Which makes a lot of sense. Um, and I mean, obviously you're dealing with this very particular audience. Um, how yeah. do you create a brand that speaks to young hip moms or very often they're hip moms and, and yet you also need to attract grandparents? Obviously you advertise to the moms, that's who you speak to in the, in the beginning, but how do you work the brand language and the design and the UI UX around those two very far apart age groups? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's a. I think it's something that we. It's a journey. We're always trying to figure that out. But I guess when we started out, I mean, first of all, it starts with you know the name. I mean, if you think about the name Tiny Beans, it's a metaphor for a child. So really, it's really at the center of what everything we do is is your child's life. So it's your little tiny bean. And we, in the in the in the early days, and still to this day, we, we put that language in the experience, like. Hey, capture another photo of your tiny bean, or you know, what's your tiny bean up to today? So we're using that language into the experience that obviously you know brings that brand into reality. So it becomes one of those things where you know we become a you know, have you taken your tiny beans moments today, not your child's photos today. So it's very important to us that the brand is integrated not just visually but also through language and the experience, and that appeals to everyone because 
whether you're a grandparent or a mum, it's all about kids. Um, so that's a one core aspect that's really important. And the second thing is around, um, you know, the the you know, the creative or the I guess I, I guess the uh, the brand itself. And the brand, obviously, as you know, is much more than just a logo. It's the tone, it's the colours, it's making it playful, it's making it fun. So all the like illustrations that we do, again, all all connect to the brand. It's about you know we want people. Um, you know, our members, our users, when they're using the brand, they're using the app, is that happiness comes through. It's all about them, you know, being feeling happy, feeling this joyful experience every time they use the app. And our goal internally is to make sure that every time they're using the app, it's a joyful, positive experience that they're getting out of it. It could be a flashback from a year ago of, of seeing the child grow up. It could be basically, you know, a great piece of, um, of, our, of content that we're sort of giving them. It's just how can we integrate the sort of visual storytelling through the app experience that then obviously, you know, drives a connection to the brand because really at the center, it's all about trust. So we need to ensure that whatever we're doing is all about, you know, connecting the brand to the experience that then is, is eliciting trust to that user because that'll make sure they keep coming back and then more, you know, and then obviously, you know, uh, I'm spread word of mouth and tell others about it. Happiness and trust—that's that—that seems to be a brand DNA. And and you know, I'm not I'm not surprised. Obviously, you took your you took your company um, IPO, and you you realized a lot of amazing brand tricks through through growing your company. I mean, that whole idea that you create a name for an app that is so relatable that you can actually start using it um, as a verb. You can start using it in different ways, like Twitter and you tweet. And those are those those are those lessons that I always tell startup founders when they create an app to do that. And it's really difficult to actually pull that off. And I think with Tiny Beans, you hit that perfect mark where it's not only, you know, it's, it's a fun, but cute word that, that works for these different generations. And it can be used to actually talk about the subject matter and um, really, really great lessons. Um, when, when did you, with this brand, when did you start actively actually investing, made it be time or money, into branding? And, and then would you do it earlier or later with your next startup? Yeah, great question. Um, we created a logo, a very basic logo. I think, you know, Stephen, um, the original founder, CTO, he created the first logo. If you go to um, Internet Archive, you can sort of see it, the sort of, uh, you know, very basic, you know, a little bean with uh, with some petals on it. Um, and that was obviously of no cost. Um, we, we And again, like, I guess, different versions of when you say brand investment, right? So, um, I think we spent 800 bucks on a on a video and a sizzle reel in terms of like showing the the mm -hmm. uh, the app and that was and you know really sort of a big spend considering we had no money in the early days. Um, yeah. And then and then um, probably our, our, our sort of our biggest investment um, you know when we sort of you know started the journey was in 2014 we'd we'd raised our, our seed round and. Um, we engaged an external agency to to help us with a with an updated logo and messaging and creative to then help us take it sort of we were launching more significantly in the us we'd formed some partnerships one of the sort of i guess you know it, i make a stepwise change so we invested in a agency um to uh to help us with it with that with that um part of thing and it was great they helped us with the brand book with the colors with the with messaging, with the creative, and that was probably the first proper, I would say, investment in the brand we we did was post seed round, and that made a sense, a lot of sense in your in your journey, right? Because you were able yes. to bootstrap everything until then, but then you really yes. needed to put it in place. Yeah, 
Yeah, and, and plus the only thing I wanted to add is, I guess, you know, we were, we were, we're from Australia um, and we were all based there and we felt we needed some help to then go after a, a US consumer in a global audience. And, you know, as you know, um, obviously visiting other parts around the world, the US consumer is a different type of consumer to a consumer you see other parts of the world. So we really wanted to get some help to just ensure that whatever we did wouldn't be in the sort of this historical bias of what we felt the right consumer would be, would be, it would make, it would be, it'd be made in terms of like this, this consumer we're going after and, and obviously without any biases of, of the messaging and the creative and the, and the integration of that brand, we would then, you, you know, obviously need to do in the future. Right. No, absolutely. And let's talk a little bit more about trust and how your brand is about trust. I, I have read mm -hmm. that you have a cult like following, which makes a lot of sense <laughs> because, you know, it's like once you have once you have kids, you know, that's you, it kind of like grows with that and it gets deeper and deeper and uh, and people get more engaged over 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 the time. Um, but how do you navigate advertising and sponsorships? I mean, we know privacy is super important to you, but privacy and advertising is always kind of like they're they're very close to each other um, and they're not necessarily friends. Um, so it must be top of mind for Tiny Beans at all times to kind of like walk this fine line. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, first and foremost, we're always about our consumer, our member, our parent, our grandparent, etc. And for us, like, you know, trust is at the center, happiness at the center, and, and we need to be authentic all the time. Because really, fundamentally, that's what's built the success today, and, and that'll help us get to when we're 100 million members. So so it's all, I'm, I'm always about that member. And we have this tiny beans promise we often talk about. It's, it's, uh, it's sort of at the top of our terms and conditions that I think is really important to also highlight, um, which which also differentiates us from other you know generic social platforms. First and foremost, with parents, they own all the memories that they add to the platform. So there's none of this like oh, as soon as you add it, it's owned by others. Like they own everything. Secondly, um, they control who gets to see it. So they decide do I want to share it with a grandparent, with aunt and uncle, etc. So they control who gets to see it. And third, will never sell their personally identifiable data. Mm -hmm. So that's a promise that, so again, like what we're saying that, you know, overtly, it's one of the things that, that's very crucial that people appreciate that the fact that that's sort of, you know, the core basis of what Tiny Beans works on. So, so, so with that lens, when we think about advertising um, and working with brands, um, there's, a, there's a balance there. But, but fundamentally, consumers need brands, right? Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, we're all out there trying to find, you know, relevant products based on our stage in life. Be it a, you know, a, you know, um, someone who's just left college looking for his first job, or or a mum that's just had a baby, right? We all need different products, and as you know, there's millions of products out there, and there's millions of of reasons why you'd need different types of products. And what we've always been trying to do with our parents and family members about it, because we know a lot about you, mum, and we know also a lot about your, your child, we're probably you know, in a great position to then recommend relevant products and content for you. So what we'll do is work with brands and go, hey, you know, you want to get to parents of six-month-olds because your product is really helpful there. Then we'll take that content and then serve that up to parents of six-month-olds. Six so what we want to do is sort of draw the connection between, I guess, opportunity out there of content and product and services for families and connect the dots for actual parents who need it. So if you've got a six-month-old, it's relevant to you. But if you've got a three-year-old, it's not. 
Absolutely. So we'll only give you the relevant information based on that age and stage. And we work really hard around that. So like an 18 month old, here's something that's relevant for you. You've got a three year old, here's something that's relevant for you. So um, that's how we try and, and straddle the balance of two, but it's difficult. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things we're always thinking about because we want to always add value to our users. We want to be this utility for them. You want to capture memory. You want to get a parenting tip. You want to be able to you know, find a product. We want to be able to help you. At the same time, you know, we want brands to appreciate that value, but we'll never, ever pass that user's information onto that brand. And, and you have an amazing target audience to actually surf up uh, recommendations because they are, I mean, that's how that's a, a lot of young parents start suddenly doubling and tripling their friend count because suddenly yeah. they actually need <laughs> other parents just for advice. Yeah. It's like, how do yeah. we deal with all of this? It's all new to me, right? So everything that a young parent does is different than before. Like they read different things. They, they need to educate themselves about different brands and different products that they've never had in their life. So it, it actually really, is is a perfect match for you to have this community uh this online community that is all about trust and it's all about happiness and then suddenly like you serve them up what isn't even an ad it's really just hey we know where you're at right now in life and here's a product that we feel might be really good for you and they're actually going to run towards it with open arms rather than oh god there's an ad right it's so exactly it's you're you're in a really really good position to do that without losing trust. You're actually gaining trust by serving up an ad, which which rarely happens, which is really really nice. And um, the other thing, and the other thing I just want to add to that is that the brands are benefiting because you know they're sort of leveraging the trust we have with those parents. I mean, of if course. we say, hey, this is a great, you know, there's a tiny beans tested product, we'd highly recommend it. That like is a 10x in terms of what the you know, um, parent would have thought of that product if they saw it on a generic sort of social platform. So, um, but having said that, I mean, and you'd appreciate this, big brands haven't quite you know, caught up. <laughs> hmm. You know, your brands still want big, you know, big reach uh, audiences, um, and they haven't quite figured out that actually, you know, you actually don't want big reach random audiences, you want small targeted engaged audiences. Um, but media and agencies haven't quite caught up to that yet. And that's part of our journey as well. Yeah, that's a, it's actually mind blowing, right? And I just I just read about that again last night, where it seems like it is so logical, you know, that that you go for niche audiences and you you really you you own that small pond rather than keep fishing in the big in the big ocean. And it's just it's 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 amazing how long it takes. The larger an organization, the longer it takes for that mindset to, to shift. But it makes sense, right? It's easier for for a nimble small company to navigate those waters. Um, did you did you ever go against data? Like, did you ever see some customer data in the early in the early days um, of of of, of TinyBean, where where you were still very involved? I'm sure day to day. Um, and did you see data and you did a gutsy move where you said, you know what, like, I, I see the data and I know we should do one thing, but I, I really, based on my instinct, I think we should go a different different direction or, you know, maybe a new feature where, where it really doesn't seem to resonate in the beginning, but you really wanted to push it through because you felt the, the instinct of a founder, you felt like, you know, I'm driven to do this. Did you ever do that? We just went against your own data? Well, what, one thing that comes to mind with that question, Fabian, is... Uh, is um early days i mean there were other sort of very basic um, apps out there for capturing for, um, memories and they were all very um i guess one-dimensional meaning you add a photo you can come back to sort of a grid-like view and see those photos right mm -hmm. it would be very you know standard 
what we did, which was very unconventional, but in hindsight, sort of obvious, was we created a calendar view where you basically you capture the photos in a calendar-like experience, which means that you're looking at what your child did yesterday and the day before, and and um, and then you can reflect on last month. And, and also, more importantly, it encourages daily interaction because it's like every day you want to fill it in with a photo. It's a so diary. You, yeah, it's a photo yeah, diary it, in the end. Yeah. Exactly, but it was unconventional because, because you know, historically, if you look at all sort of scrapbooking, it's not really you know time based. It's more milestone based. I mean, yes, there is some some element of time, but it's sort of random. You know, parents come in and out of certain things are sort of random. So it's a bit unconventional. But now, if you think about it, it you know, um, it actually had, to be honest with you, I think that if you ask like, what's the one one of the secret ingredients that have helped us succeed is being the calendar view. Whereas hmm. whereas initially people were you know weren't very fond of it. <laughs> because they wanted to easily scroll like they would scroll on other apps. And we sort of kept true to the, the focus around, you no, know, the reason for the calendar view is clearly around the sort of very easy and, and very happy way in which you can see how your child grows up. And our, uh, one of the early taglines was like, watch your children grow. Mm -hmm. And it's through this sort of scrolling of the calendar view that you would see that. And it's still now to this day, a key part of sort of demonstrates this unique way in which you can see your child grow up or within 30 days. Um, you can snapshot that as a month. So that probably comes to mind the most. Um, you know, we've done some, you know, some recent um, uh, surveying of users to, to look at other parts of sort of the parenting journey and, uh, and looking to see whether or not we will double down in certain areas that go against what they, th you know, what they think we should. Um, but for the moment, that probably is the biggest thing that sort of comes to mind in the early days that I think has really been a successful part of our formula. Well, and it's interesting because it seems like, you know, my question was about what was a gutsy move where you felt like this may or may not work, but you really, really believe it will. And that in the end, actually, your users did not feel too comfortable with in the beginning. And now it turned out that that was actually one of the big breakthrough moments, like that actually yeah. <laughs> going against that grain. And, and, and that's kind of where I was heading with that question, because sometimes that's what that's what it takes. And that's why founders have to be gutsy and, and they kind of like have to fail forward, as a lot of people say, right? Um, but that's that's really, that's a wonderful story. Um, one final piece of brand advice that you may have for founders as a takeaway. That could be anything that's on your mind right now. Like, what would you like to give younger, younger youth, right? Like younger entrepreneurs that, that young as far as like a company goes, right? No age revealed, <laughs> you know, just company growth. Um, you know, young founders, what, what would you give them on the road as far as branding goes? Um. To be honest with you, um, and for us, it, it was it was um, it was uh, I guess it's it's pretty straightforward. But but um, but probably the single biggest piece of advice for branding and a new startup would be to have a name that is memorable and you can integrate somehow. Because without with the absence of a lot of money, meaning for branding and logos and all that type of stuff, a founder can do that without any money. Um, they have to be creative. So come up with, with um, you know, a name and a meaningful purpose around the name, and then integrate that into whatever you're building. Um, so it, it has to be, you know, so if you're if you're creating a like in our case it was a happy brand, so that's got to be personified across the entire experience. You want it to be a memorable one, like it's got to be in there. So that's probably the the single biggest thing that I think with no money, a startup founder could do 
really well. I'm, I'm not saying it's easy, <laughs> but that would be one thing that I think has really helped us um, more than probably we appreciated at the time because it just, it, you know, we now live it. Whereas I think those early decisions, I think, could really make a, a big deal, especially if, like, if, if the names are so generic, like you just won't get any cut through because, as you know, we get so inundated with messaging. If you can't, if you, if you can't have a name that sort of, you know, it makes you pause and and uh, and your ears prick, that then it's a it's going to be a battle, especially for a consumer brand. That was a great great takeaway, and and you know that's why that's why I had you on this podcast, Eddie, so you can appreciate the power of the subliminal branding genius that you did at the very beginning of starting your company. It was just that name that that okay. now you're so used to it, right? But it 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 is really it, it, there's a lot of thought that went into it, and it and it actually carried you you know until now right really really well and i think that's that is so important naming is so crucial um and we're not even talking about trademarks and dot coms and all of that right but but the idea that you go past that and that you actually make it something that is so usable and so so meaningful when it has the right personality that you want to convey early on that will never change with the company you know it's like it's always going to be about parents and grandparents and so um Really, really great. So parents listening um, who fell in love with Tiny Beans, but they're not quite ready to head into the App Store, where can they learn more about you? Yeah, so um, check out you know, our website, um, you know, there's lots of information there. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously the App Store, like you say, <laughs> is a great source. And like, if, even if you, if you don't have kids of your own or know, or know others that have kids, um, you know, it's a, it's really an amazingly um, great product and it's free, like it's free for everyone. There is an upgraded you know, premium version, but all the basics that, you know, um, we talk about in terms of capturing and sharing is available free. We want everyone in the world to have that free feature. So um, definitely check it out online. And, and uh, if you do a search, there's a ton of other information as well. This was such a pleasure having you here. Um, thank you so much for your time, Eddie. We, we all really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Fabian. Really, really great talking to you today. And thank you all for listening. Make sure to give the show a quick rating and to hit that follow button. This episode is brought to you by Mr. Machinsky, possibly the greatest invention in men's underwear since men's underwear itself. Find out more and grab a double pack today at mrmachinsky.com. The Hitting the Mark theme music was written and produced by Happiness One. I will see you next time when we once again will be hitting the mark.